Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about the program, podcast, and our free 633 event this Sunday when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael and part two of his message in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 called Resurrected Priorities. Baptismal regeneration teaches that the moment that you go into the water of baptism, you are regenerated. That is, born again. The moment that you go under and you come up now being born again. But as we study the Scriptures, here's what we know. Water does not save us. Jesus saves us. Right? It's the blood of Jesus. It's His vicarious atonement on the cross. Him dying in my place and me receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now we can use some examples of deathbed conversions or the thief on the cross or Paul saying early on in 1 Corinthians 1, I, did not, I wasn't called to come and baptize but to preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.17. So there's a difference between the gospel and baptism. Baptism is not the gospel. Please hear me. It's a picture of the gospel. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. It's the first act of obedience. It's what people did after they received Jesus as Lord, after they confessed Him, after they were born again of the Holy Spirit. Then they went into the waters of baptism publicly to confess and convey their faith in Christ. In fact, throughout church history, my understanding of church history up until the last couple hundred years is that the main way that you gave a testimony to a corporate uh, group like this of the church is at your baptism, not at an altar call, but at your water baptism. At second service, we're going to baptize a young lady today, and it's going to be a great honor to baptize her. She's already received Jesus as her Lord, and she's going to share a little bit about why she's being baptized, give a short testimony. This is why we ask people if you'd like to share at your baptism because we understand that that's the time to give the public testimony of what Christ has already done in your heart. But prior to being baptized in water, you got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? you got to be baptized into the body, baptized into Christ, which I think are all uh, synonymous ideas. You have to have a spiritual birth. In other words, if, if you did not have a spiritual birth and I dunked you in water, the water would not transform you. You have to be transformed on the inside. The water becomes a picture of that transformation. Everybody with me? Now, I'm not downplaying baptism. Jesus told us to baptize. He said to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's what we do. But we do it as a first act of obedience to convey an already spiritual reality that's taking place on the inside. Everybody with me? Now, there are groups out there, and you might meet them at the mall, who say, unless you're baptized by our minister and our baptismal in the name of Jesus only, you're not saved. That is absolutely false. That's a lie. Jesus saves. But baptism is the first act to say, Lord, I am not ashamed. And I'm going to go into the water publicly to say, I believe in you and I'm going to follow you. Now, what is it then? Is Paul simply acknowledging a false vicarious atonement, something that maybe happened in the cults? Uh, You may be interested to know that the Corinthians had some weird superstitious views, and I'm talking about now just the city, and they had some superstitious views of the underworld, and uh, scholars have tried 
in order to back up view number one to try to find something where maybe these people in pagan religions, non-Christian religions, were doing this practice to maybe free spirits in the underworld or something like that, but they can't find it. It's just not there. Now, it is interesting to note that there were a couple of fringe groups who followed Marcion and one other that were doing this apparently in the second century, but it was considered heretical. It was considered wrong or a heresy. So I don't think that that's what Paul uh, is addressing here, although there is some compelling evidence for it. In other words, if, if Paul believed uh, that, that this is what people were doing and he needed to correct it, this is something important to correct because this is an issue of salvation. Think with me. This is what scholars would say, it's salvific. What does that mean? Well, it means that if the people were being baptized by proxy on behalf of others, they believed that people's souls were at stake. I don't think that Paul would have passed by an opportunity to make sure that people understood that that's not how you get saved. In fact, we would argue that once you have died, your opportunity to receive the Lord is over, right? We need to decide in this life. There is no evidence in the New Testament that there's a second chance gospel for those who have died. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Now is where you need to repent of your sin and receive Jesus as your Lord. Don't wait until it's too late. We have pictures of people who have perished in Luke 16. And the man wishes that he could go and warn his family. And, and the response of Abraham in that Section of Luke 16, 19 through 31 is it's over. You're here. There's no crossing over. They have Moses and they have the prophets. Let them listen to them. This guy is concerned about his family. Here's my point. But he's died and he has no opportunity. It sound, he sounds even repentant. He's sorry that he is where he is. But there's no second chance gospel. So, Walking this view out, it would seem to me far-fetched that Paul would not have correct something this important about how one is saved if there was a false view among the Corinthians. All right? That's view number one. View number two. Baptism for the dead does not have to mean in the language in the place of or for the benefit of, but can mean that they are being baptized with a view toward or for the sake of. Thus, they are being baptized with a view toward being reunited, reunited with their departed loved ones in heaven. It's something like this. I'm becoming a Christian or being baptized today for my loved one who just died so I can be with them again. Baptism for the dead. That is, my loved one died and so I'm going to get baptized to make sure I guarantee a reunion day. Now you should get saved to make sure you get, <laughs> guarantee a reunion day. But baptism doesn't save you. Who saves you? Jesus does. The blood of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. All right? So this second view is touching, right? Someone might lose a loved one and say, I want to be baptized next weekend. But is this what Paul is referencing? I believe not. Garland says everything in this view places an emphasis on the meaning of the preposition uh, in the place of or on behalf of. And the burden on it uh, means what is proposed and the purpose for the baptism then follows. He's saying there's too much burden put on that, that preposition and it just doesn't seem to make sense. All right? View number three. This is the one that I hold. 
The view for baptism of the dead uses the term dead as a metaphor for the condition of believers who receive baptism. So that for the dead, or on behalf of the dead, ESV, is not a third person reference like they're doing this, those people do this, but to the subject being baptized. The Greek fathers, early fathers uh, in, the, in the Greek um, areas or Greek speaking, uh, said that the dead are the bodies because of which we are being baptized. Chrysostom, for example, argues that the wording is a baptismal confession. Paul's use of the third person would then be a reference to those who are being baptized. Some of you have seen when someone goes into the waters of baptism, the pastor will say, buried in Christ, raised to newness of life. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in sins and trespasses, but we've been made alive. And so the idea of a metaphor for those going into the waters of baptism is that this would be like a shorthand for the baptism of those who have just been recently saved. They were dead, and now they are alive again. Let me show you a couple verses, and then you can chew on this. Romans 6. Let's flip over to Romans chapter 6, just the book before the one we're in. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. Go to Romans 6. Let me show you some of the things that Paul says about this condition. And we keep in mind that Paul's using spiritual terms, some of which baptism captures. Take a look at Romans 6. We're in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, Romans 6, 4, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. And this is an interesting uh, facet of this. Into death, that is the old man dies. And this may have implications for the baptism of the dead. That is, they are dead to their old ways and alive in Christ. So it may come from both directions. You were dead and now you need to die and live to Christ. Everybody with me? So it's both angles. So the baptism of the dead might for Paul, be a metaphor for someone who was dead, dies in a picture in the waters of baptism, dies to self, and now lives for Christ. So you have to look at it as bookended, if you will. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead, verse 4, through the glory of the Father, so we too might what? Walk in newness of life. For if we have been, become united with him in the likeness of his death, Certainly we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with or die. That we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Flip over to Romans 8, look at verse 9. Romans 8, verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, Romans 8, 9, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if, you, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. Keep turning to... Uh, Pass up First and Second Corinthians and go to Galatians two nineteen. Just the, all the same area here of your Bible. Galatians two nineteen. 
Take a look with me. Paul says, For through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. Galatians 2.20 You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Life on the go can make it difficult to catch up on your study in the Bible. If you think about it, Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance is here for you, kind of like a daily supplement to help your spiritual growth. You can listen to Walk in Truth whenever you want because it's on podcast too. Subscribe to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. For example, if you have an iPhone, we're on your iPodcast app already on your phone. Walk in Truth is also on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcast, Stitcher, and many more. So listen on your hike, during your drive, or while you're getting work done at a coffee shop. Basically, listen whenever you want. Subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Hello, I'm Rob Newton, producer of Walk in Truth. We regret to inform you all events you've heard about on this program have been canceled until further notice. This is because of the social distancing regulations that have been put in effect in our county. If you'd like to learn more, there's a special update with Pastor Michael on our website, walkintruth.com. Click on events. That's walkintruth.com. Click on events. On behalf of Pastor Michael, the Walk in Truth team, and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, we hope and pray you are well and that you trust in the Lord at this time. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Take a look with me. Paul says, For through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. And then finally, a little bit more to your right. Pass up Ephesians. You'll get to Colossians 2. This is my final verse on just showing you some of these pictures in the New Testament. Colossians 2, look at verse 12. Colossians 2, verse 12 says, Having been buried with him with Christ in baptism, Colossians 2.12, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us, how many? All our transgressions, praise God. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Back to 1 Corinthians 15. Now let me tell you, um, this is something that I'd ask you to wrestle with and we don't have to live and die if we agree or disagree. But I will say this. It may well be that Paul is simply saying, why do any of you get baptized in Christian baptism if there's no resurrection? Don't you think That Christian baptism, if it's supposed to picture death, dying with Christ, and rising to new life, dying to the old self, self and rising, why would anybody bother going through a ritual if it has no real meaning? Why bother practicing baptism if there's no resurrection? Make sense? Why do the picture if the picture does not picture a reality? It makes no sense. We do what we do because we believe that Jesus is alive. That baptism not only signifies a death to the old self and forgiveness of sins and cleansing, but it anticipates a resurrection to life in the body in which I died, I will rise. Everybody with me? This is the hope that the baptismal pictures. 
And that's what Paul may well be saying. Why do you guys practice baptism if there is no resurrection? Why do the picture if there's no reality? Okay, verse number two. <laughs> this has become my pattern. <laughs> this is actually verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 15. Second question. Why are we also in danger every hour? Application of the resurrection. Why would you ever put yourself in harm's way, sacrifice for others, if there's no resurrection? Write down 2 Corinthians 11, 23-29, where Paul catalogs the things that he went through. Persecution, floating on the open sea day and night, being threatened by brethren, being threatened by false brethren. Some people saying they're not going to eat or drink until Paul's dead. Paul going into city after city, being stoned, left for dead, rejected, uh, threatened. Why would anybody ever do that? If you don't believe there's a resurrection, why would I ever put my life in jeopardy? Why would I ever risk a friendship to preach the gospel? Why would I ever go on a missions trip to try to reach people who are lost? Why, why would Jim Elliott do what he did and, and go to a lost tribe to try to convey the gospel to them? If he believed there's no resurrection, then you better live for everything you can get right now. Paul says, my ministry then makes no sense. Why would someone like Mother Teresa give up her life to be with the poor? Why would anybody take any kind of risk? Paul says in chapter 9, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. But why would anybody ever do that? Why would you invest your time in Bible reading? Why pray? Why go to church? See, this is what Paul is saying. You can't reject such an essential doctrine and not think about the implications. He says, I protest, 31. Brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. I protest Paul would say something like this, I boast in you, that is, you are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by men. The reason I did what I did is because you, for you and people like you to be saved. How many of you can think back to the person that shared the gospel with you? Took a risk. Maybe it was uncomfortable. Maybe they kept working on you. Maybe they kept saying, come to church. Jesus will change your life. And they prayed for you and you came forward, and now Jesus is your life. Are you grateful? Are you grateful that someone said, I'm willing, Lord, I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to share the good news. How many of you believe, I know this is rhetorical, we all believe it, that people need hope, that we need to know that there is a God who loves us and that there is life beyond the grave, and it's true. That's the great news about it. It's true. <laughs> Why would we not proclaim it? I know we have all kinds of stuff that comes at us. Paul uh, Thistleton says you could quote the end of verse 31 this way. From day to day I court fatality. That is, I put my life on the line. Why would I ever do that? Go to 2 Corinthians. A few pages to your right. Look at chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1. Look at verses 8 and 9. Here's what Paul says about just a portion of his life in the Roman Empire sharing the gospel. He says, 2 Corinthians 1.8, We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, 2 Corinthians 1.9, We had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. We were burdened excessively. We despaired even of life. But why did Paul do it? 
because he wanted other people to know the hope that he had discovered. The hope that found him, he wanted other, other people to know it. He wanted other people to hear that there's hope in Jesus. Do you? Do I? Well, that's what Paul is saying. His life was in constant danger. Bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city that bonds and afflictions await me. But none of these things move me. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God, Acts 20, 22 through 24. I'm bound by the Spirit. My life is not even dear to me for me to live as Christ and to die. Woo. It's like everybody says, I want to go to heaven, I just don't want to die. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> Verse 32, if from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You're listening to Resurrected Priorities, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 29 through 34. We'd really love to hear from you. So please send us your comments or questions. Contact information is on walkintruth.com or you can call and leave us a brief message at 844-48-TRUTH. Is there a topic you feel stumped on? Are you unsure how to talk about subjects like homosexuality, abortion, or euthanasia? Ask us the question and we'd love to equip you with the answers you're looking for on any topic. And since we have the Walk in Truth podcast, we can dive deeper if necessary. So help us equip you. Write in or call with your question. Again, you can visit walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. Thanks for reaching out. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Perhaps someone has asked you this question, or maybe you have this question yourself. If Jesus dying for our sins saves us, then why is the resurrection important too? Well, the resurrection, you know, there's a verse in Romans that says that Jesus was raised for our justification. And the resurrection was part of the prophetic scriptures in regard to the Messiah. For example, Psalm 16 talks about the resurrection. And even in the book of Job, it says, I know that my Redeemer lives. You could say that the resurrection was God's affirmation or confirmation that Jesus is who he said he was. And remember the gospel, when we started 1 Corinthians 15, includes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel because the resurrection says that Jesus truly defeated death. And he said, destroy my body, this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. And so the gospel is all about death being overcome. Death by the death of Jesus, his, his sacrifice, his atoning uh, death and blood being shed for us. But the resurrection confirms it all. It's kind of, you know, the God, the father saying, yes, this is my son. Yes, he is the way. So I hope that helps. If you've ever had that question before, the gospel is about the cross, but it also definitely includes the resurrection and the resurrection had to happen because Jesus said, they're going to kill me. 
and three days later I will rise again. He talked about the sign of the prophet Jonah. And so this is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the resurrection is the capstone in the arch of Christianity. It's been said, without it, our faith is futile. Without it, we are dead in our sins, as we've learned in 1 Corinthians 15. But with it, oh my, my, my. Uh, we are going to rise, and there is hope beyond the grave. So hang on, my dear friend, my dear saint. If you are battling something right now, a sickness, if you've just lost a loved one, the grave doesn't have the final answer. Jesus does, and he proved it by the immutable fact of the resurrection. Praise the Lord. God bless you. We'll catch you next time. Tune in tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 called Resurrected Priorities. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.